What's up, everyone? Welcome to my corner of the internet. I'm your host, Ryan Kramer, and this is Crossover Commerce, presented by Ping Pong Payments, the leading global payments provider helping sellers keep more of their hard-earned money. What's up, everyone? Ryan Kramer with Ping Pong Payments and Crossover Commerce. You did it. You made it to Friday, wherever you are in the world. Welcome to this live session of our show, Crossover Commerce, episode 34. We're already breezing through season two of this show. This week has just been uh, really exciting in terms of people and content being shared on the show. And if this is your first time, welcome. Uh, You're now a friend of the show. We are excited to drop some bits of knowledge in both the Amazon and e-commerce industry, whether it's shipping, logistics, uh, product selection. Uh, If you just have general questions, go ahead and send those in the comments below. We'll see those real time. And Jason and I, our guests, which I uh, alluded to in kind of their teaser a little bit, um, we'll be answering those live that you have about either selling or just some of the topics that we have coming up. But I'm super excited about our guest today, uh, Jason Hanan of uh, AZ Seller Kit, excuse me. Uh, he was a co-founder as well as a seven-figure seller managing all sorts of storefronts, being successful on Amazon. He developed a really cruel uh, software and technology to help Amazon sellers kind of elevate the game even further. He saw the need, they grew it, they developed it themselves, and now they're helping other Amazon sellers kind of with the same thing. But we're talking about automated pricing and inventory levels. And a lot of people just don't think about that concept of how do I manage the two if I'm low on inventory, which we saw a lot of Amazon sellers have this year, uh, or I should say 2020. It still feels like 2020 out there, but uh, a lot of sellers this year had those problems with managing uh, the you know the revenue aspect as well as the inventory aspect side of things. So their solution is is really cool to learn about. I'm excited to bring him on today, Jason. Welcome to the show. Hey, thank you for uh, doing this. This is uh, super cool. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I, I hope, uh, hopefully, that intro was justice because you you have you've been around a little while selling both Amazon seller uh, as an Amazon seller, but also just in the community on e-commerce. So for those of you, for those of people who don't know who your background is or who you are exactly, why don't you give us a quick intro of yourself? No, sure. First, that was a great job of uh, of doing it. You did you did it very well, almost better than me. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's what I do. I, after thirty four times, I feel like I've gotten the intro part. Uh, sometimes I just have to remember to unmute myself. Or hey, what what company am I talking about? Every, everyone has AMZ or AZ or something like that in their title. So got to get that right all the time. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. <laughs> after you said, I was like, oh, I'm going home. He's done. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> Appreciate it. But uh, so, yeah, so my background is actually I'm a retailer first. Um, I grew up and we owned retail stores that actually sold CDs and DVDs in Manhattan. We had three stores called uh, Entertainment Outlet back in the day. So my background has always been uh, retail. And ultimately, you know, Amazon is direct consumer and it is retail. Um, and over the over the years, we moved into Amazon originally selling DVDs, believe it or not, and obviously at a certain point that uh, that you know that world sort of came to an end, and we transitioned into becoming Amazon private label sellers and helping other private label sellers manage their business. Uh, once we you know once we saw that there was a need for that in the marketplace, and part of managing you know business has always been you know data and software, and we have uh, we've really noticed the need for software to help manage pricing. Um, When you try and do it manually, which you should be doing, um, it's obviously very time consuming and very challenging. Um, But the ability that uh, we give the customers to automate pricing to try and, you know, find where that sweet spot is of profitability um, is is definitely something that has been you know eye opening, especially in 2020, as inventory levels have been uh, have been scarce, and as you know retailers across the country were closed down, the price elasticity on certain items were really uh, you know pretty surprising. Things that were selling for 19.99, you know, two months earlier, um, you know, people were able to get you know 39.99, 49.99 for the same item. And it really was the software that gave them the confidence to try and push their pricing, you know, a little bit higher, a little bit higher. And, you know, before you know it, you have, you know, certain 
exercise items that are now selling for you know forty dollars that were selling for twenty before because at home exercise became a crazy thing. But you know that across the board, just realizing that there's going to be spikes in demands at different times on Amazon, and having a software that can catch those spikes in demand, you know, while you're sleeping, you know, so to say, uh, has made uh, a lot of our you know clients you know much more profitable than they would have been if they just let their items sell out at their original price point. Right, and that and that philosophy obviously makes sense. I think uh, when there's so it's almost the traditional supply and demand, correct? It's if your your good is is people are buying at such a high velocity, but the demand is, or but the supply is low, you can obviously uh, increase that pricing. So that the philosophy and model is kind of the kind of the basis for this tool. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, I mean that is that is there's really two sides of the tool. That is definitely the supply and demand aspect of it. Where, which was super important in 2020 because Amazon's warehouse weren't filling stuff that was coming in from China wasn't landing on time. So there was a scarcity of product on the marketplace. Um, there's another side of it where you really are able to, if you have unlimited inventory, you're able to allow the software to look at your price points and based on your velocity, find the most profitable price that the uh, that your item can support you know based on just overall velocity as opposed to looking at your inventory if it's dwindling so the the beauty of the software really is is that if you have you know let's say 50 percent of your items where you don't have inventory issues you can use that that you know profit optimization tool and the other half of your catalog which you usually find there in where there are inventory issues you can use the inventory based solution for pricing and it's always uh, it's always fun when we link an account and they tell me over the phone, no inventory issues, we're fine. And then you link the account. What about these, you know, forty items that are out of stock? They're like, no, no, that was an exception. What about these? It's an exception. No, that those, you know, uh, well, you know, the the data doesn't lie, and it's just never never really makes sense to sell out of an item if you don't have more inventory behind it. Yeah, I, I, all that also reminds me of. Um, when you think about you, you said you came from like the retail side of, of business before you jumped into Amazon. It's almost like the clearance uh, mentality of when things just need to move in terms of making space for more or in terms of, hey, it's not selling. We need to get rid of it anyways. It's just sitting there. It's accruing shelf life or it's accruing fees in Amazon space. This model actually can help you uh, save on those kinds of fees. And just if you just need to get rid of that product inventory uh, to make way for you know, obviously, so it just doesn't sit there. That that makes that sense. So that that's why I initially think about oh, when you're like, hey, we need to get this this inventory moving. So that's that's curious. What? Uh, so why? I guess what was the story or like the solution that kind of brought you guys to bring about this this kind of like technology? Like, what was that that problem that you guys saw as as sellers, and then you kind of said we need to do something better with this to forecast. Um, so when we were, we were working actually with, uh, we're like serial software buyers. Like we really kind of gone through every software on the market over the years because we're big, uh, you know, we're big believers that, you know, software has solutions. And we really started to realize that from a repricing standpoint, this idea of repricing for people with competition was all over the place, you know, sell for one penny below and all of that stuff. That was really, you know, all over the market. Um, but an inventory-based solution for private label sellers really did not exist. So there's, uh, you know, one other company that really does it, which is, you know, Feedvisor. They're, you know, super expensive, and they really seem to be focused on the, uh, you know, top, you know, two, three hundred sellers that are out there um, that can afford to pay their fees. And we really felt like, you know, us you know, were not necessarily able to spend the money that they, you know, that they wanted to charge, but still had a need for the solutions that were out there. So we, we really set off on a goal to, to try and do what they're not doing, which is, you know, serve a, you know, a little bit of the rest of the Amazon community and also to do things a little bit differently where we have inventory based solutions and they really are more with this mindset of just profit optimization. So, you know, when, when seeing that out there, we really just started to, to understand that if you're not looking at your inventory levels when you're making pricing decisions, you're just missing half the picture. And that really does not, you know, 
you know, does not exist on the marketplace as crazy as that may sound. And we have a lot of people that leave from, you know, other softwares that land that buy us, you know, and they come to us originally because our price is better, but they start to realize that it really is a better solution ultimately because we're, we're sellers first, you know, we're retailers first. So we need solutions that work for our business. And that always translates, you know, better when you're actually doing it yourself as opposed to just selling software. Yeah, that, that makes that all is fantastic in that capacity. And and when you're talking about um, being a seller first in that mentality, you you clearly want to be um, you want to do everything that can maximize profitability. And I think that's what's really cool about that is that this formula is kind of a moving needle, right? There's no there's no guaranteed formula. It's always going to depend on each on a seller's either product or their category that they're in. So is, is that something that you have gained insight on that you're starting to see, Hey, now that we, we were good in this one area, but with our software, we are able to see, Hey, in these different categories, you can start to see trends even better or even, um, with, even with 2020 being its own kind of spectacle, if you will, you got to see, uh, certain categories really take off. Like you said, home equipment alluded to earlier. Is that kind of almost a market insight and maybe an opportunity for sellers maybe going forward on your guys's maybe uh, after looking at all the data? Um, yeah, I guess I'll, I'll say that we are, you know, we definitely, you know, see trends, be, you know, probably a little bit faster than other people because we have, you know, more data just with all the, you know, account information that's there. And I think one of the main trends that we actually saw in 2020 that was a little bit, you know, I guess elevated over 2019 was the ad spend and price relationship. Um, it does seem that over 2020, if you spend more on advertising and then raise your prices, there, there seems to be less price sensitivity and more of a need to actually pour money into advertising. So if you're not the, you know, an old model and sort of what we used to try and do, you know, 2018, 2019, was trying to figure out when to stop your ad spend so that the item can be profitable or when to slow it down. And what we've realized more in 2020 is that the trick really is about raising your ad spend and then raising your price. Because if you're, if there are more eyeballs on the item and you've got more reviews in the items building, it pretty much creates this upward spiral where you're able to spend more money and raise your price so that you're still profitable. And the goal is actually to see, you know, your perfect world, your item costs you a dollar and you can sell it for a hundred and you're spending $50 on advertising. But, you know, the goal is really to try and find those items where you can continue to pour money into the, into the ad spend and the customer is still willing to, you know, buy it at that higher price. And when, Absolutely. You, uh, when you can find that, you really, there's a lot of diamonds in the rough that, you know, tend to, you know, the customer really will tell you what they're willing to spend money on. And when you have, you know, software trying things out, it really does, you know, it lights up very quickly on your dashboard, the items that are working and the items that are profitable. And, you know, it really is about just continuing to funnel ad spend into the items that are working. Absolutely. And I'll go ahead and like throw up some comments real quick. So Raja uh, from Ecom Managers over in Pakistan, obviously saying hi. Hi, Raja, like friend of the show, obviously. And our, both our collective friend, Mr. David Dayan uh, from Amazon experts uh, in the ecom cooperative. What's up, David? Thanks for watching us today. Again, everyone, if you're listening to us and you have questions about Jason or just like that philosophy or myself for the show, if I know this is early on West Coast, but if you save this for later and you have a thought and you're listening to this uh, on this beautiful, uh, gloomy, gray Friday outside my window, it's uh, uh, if you have questions for us, go ahead and add those in the comments below. We also have, if you have questions about ping pong or Jason, the, those links will also be about uh, with our companies are below too. With ping pong, obviously signing for free and saving money, but also Jason and his team to learn out uh, more about their company. It's in those comments and descriptions on the both the YouTube and Facebook posts, and as well as LinkedIn posts below. So definitely go check those out after the show. But if you have questions in real time, we will see those. Throw them up on the screen. We will interact with you, the audience, as well. So, uh, Jason, my other my my questions I initially started thinking about is. Why, why did this 
kind of like space not get figured out because it seems like this is this is like retail uh kind of business philosophy that you guys are kind of shedding a light on why wasn't there a solution that you think that either amazon didn't either share that data or allow them to kind of like help sellers out or you think another tool that didn't kind of like step in and, and solve this problem quicker than what you guys did um i'll be honest with you it boggles my mind and <laughs> When, like when we started, and my partner Lenny Ash, who I've uh, been working with whatever since 1996, uh, is definitely the uh, the smarter of the two of us, and is the software guy in the brains. And he was always always telling me and always pushing me to say that you know like we can actually do this and sell this. And I was always hesitant, and I was you know I can't count the amount of times I've told him that we don't sell software, we're Amazon sellers. We don't sell software, we're Amazon sellers. And once we finally cracked the code of how to actually do this, and we waited a year of doing it on all of our own accounts before we even considered bringing it to market. Because I would always, I was just very concerned. I was like, this is pricing, this is very sensitive, like you cannot mess this up. So, you know, we have to see it through every season. And we really just, you know, he finally convinced me that this is actually something that we should make, you know, try and sell. And it really, because it didn't exist on the market, it definitely made me a little hesitant of like, why aren't other people doing it this way? But, you know, at the end of the day, I think that there's been a lack of, you know, focus from the software community on the private label seller because I think that that's relatively new, you know, where it really did take off, you know, 2018, 2019. And there's been, you know, a ton of focus really more on the, you know, the retail arbitrage type seller, the wholesale type seller that was, you know, buying and tagging onto listings. And this sort of, you know, idea of private label sellers now dominating, you know, Amazon it really used to be very much selling the big wholesalers would sell their product to Amazon. And, you know, everybody else, you know, was basically doing some sort of, a, you know, competing with everybody else. But this private label space is, you know, definitely growing exponentially. And I think that just some of these, uh, you know, some of these software companies are, are just not focused on, you know, on this idea because they're just not sellers themselves. And I think ultimately that's where the best, you know, the best products that we see on the market this probably goes across from really my days in retail, whether it was a, you know, a retail POS software that we would use, you know, when you're buying software from people that are in business is always very different. And you can tell right away when, you know, someone is a software writer or someone's a business person, then, you know, we're definitely business people first and, you know, software providers second. And I, I there just don't seem to be a lot of those out there. Right. So you, you mentioned a couple of things that I, I kind of want to pick up on. I, because of that background on retail is so fascinating to me in that capacity. What, where do you think retail either misstepped or continues to misstep and not be successful at, uh, you know, innovating with, with the times or, uh, and where do you think that there's still a great like advantage over selling on e-commerce? as opposed to are excelling on retail versus e-commerce. Do you have kind of any insight to that? So you're saying as a brick and mortar, as opposed to e-commerce saying like right. what the brick and mortar over e-commerce. Yeah, absolutely. What, so, what are you still seeing as advantages on so brick and mortar? Over e here's probably one of the most like, which, you know, in our space, in our world, we think the world is about e-commerce and Amazon and like, that's the whole planet. And in reality, it still makes up about, you know, 12% or 13% of overall sales. So you have 87% of the planet is still buying their product from a physical retailer. I mean, that's, I mean, it's phenomenal news for, you know, us on the e-commerce side of there's that much room left to grow, but there is also the, you know, there has to be this understanding that people still need to, you know, especially now they have to go somewhere. There's literally nowhere else to go other than shop because everything else is closed. So, you know, retailers right now still, you know, that are doing it the right way are still able to give you an experience where you can, you know, walk into a phys physical locations, go do something with your family and, you know, and whatnot and present product in, you know, in the, you know, should I say the good old fashioned way, 
it still exists. You know, it's still a ton of the market share. And, you know, e-commerce is, you know, going to chip away and continue to chip away. And, you know, it'll probably double over the next couple of years, you know, with the, with the pandemic and, you know, the rate of change has definitely been accelerated by that. But if it doubles, there's still, you know, going to be 75% of the world that's still going to be making their purchases at a retail store. So it's like you can't lose, you, know, you can't lose sight of that in any business that you're, you know, getting into. Do you and your uh, team, do you guys still think about, or do you guys sell in any retail stores uh, with your goods or uh, your brand sells in uh, to retail stores directly? So most of, I'm going to say almost all of the brands that we represent um, are creating the product for physical retailers. And we are, you know, tagging on to those orders, you know, for e-commerce. So the, you know, in order to actually make those minimum order quantities and to test product, that is really the best combination of, uh, you know, of a way to do things. It's, you know, it's not necessarily easy for the little guy. The bigger guys have a tremendous advantage. You know, if they're actually selling product into a Walmart or a TJ Maxx or wherever they're selling, they're able to create a line of, you know, 50 different styles or 50 different products that are going on a shelf and just throw it on, you know, on Amazon or their own website or wherever they're putting it. And if it doesn't work, it's not that big of a deal because they have a place to, you know, ultimately close it out. It definitely is much more challenging when you are trying to bring in something only for e-commerce. If you don't have a plan B, your likelihood for getting hurt is way higher. And that's usually one of the first things that I tell anybody who's you know getting involved is what's plan B? Because plan A may not work. You know, and if you if you have 10 products that you're going for, you're lucky if three or four of them work. But you know, if you have a plan B for the other six and then you can really grow those four. You're, you know, you should be able to make a lot of money. But if you don't have a plan B, people get gun shy, they lose money quickly, and the whole thing falls apart. So that is an important. It's still an important piece to, you know, to e-commerce is having a physical retail option. Yeah, and I, uh, I've been posting on social media a little bit more. Like again, uh, if you have questions, guys, go ahead and please go ahead and comment into LinkedIn, Facebook, YouTube. Uh, wherever you're watching this, we're even on Twitter, uh, on Periscope for every, you know, people are still consuming Periscope. So we appreciate our audiences on those platforms. Go ahead and submit those as you can. And we'll go ahead and tag Jason if it's after the fact. Obviously, this is live for only a short amount of time. It's Friday. People are really, you know, trying to relax a little bit after this crazy week. It feels like a year. Um, so we'll make sure that Jason and his team can answer questions and tag them if you go ahead and post on comments later on after the show. But uh, kind of where I was going with this, Jason, was, or my next thought process was, uh, with 2020 kind of being so hectic and there's so much going on, what was something that you as a team kind of, what was something that surprised you? Let, let's just start with there. Um, well, what didn't surprise you about 2020? <laughs> what surprised you the most that you didn't think would happen? I, let's let's take out the let's take out the whole obviously global, global pandemic and whatnot. Let's talk about just like e-commerce. What surprised you the most apart from like growth and uh, was there just diversification? I think when we were post maybe 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 I'll help serve this up a different way. Let me ask this question: We are seeing more uh, more and more sellers and more and more influencers and people who come on the show. They're talking about diversify, diversify, diversify. And the reason why they're saying that and they're hammering that home in early 2021 is because what happened in early 2020. And that's because when a pandemic hit or something global kind of happens and they shut down and they want to accept your inventory or logistics are a nightmare. And there's just this groundswell of all this inventory levels kind of shift in sellers themselves. They don't know how much to send to Amazon. They don't know how to plan moving forward. Is that kind of why you you mentioned this in your last answer? Is that why you're telling a lot of people more to diversify? Hey, be on different kind of branded sites, be on different marketplaces. Is that what you were alluding to? Um, I, I guess part of um, part of the the 2020 you know surprise is definitely I think logistics and you know across the board from you know what started off in you know March and April as. Everyone thought they had more inventory than they were ever going to need because the world was ending. 
Um, you know, people were slashing prices, wholesalers were slashing prices, and it was this big panic by, you know, it seemed like by June and July, all of a sudden, you know, China was shut down, other factories across the country were hit with COVID, and everybody wished they had the merchandise that they closed out in April and May, and getting product back from overseas uh, became very, you know, became very challenging. So, you know, I, I do think that at this point, it seems like um, the world is still, you know, starting to straighten out a little bit, at least as far as logistics. It seems like, uh, you know, people have balanced the, you know, that wave of, you know, of craziness. It seems to have, you know, definitely balanced where you can get product. Um, as far as, you know, diversification, it really depends on, you know, your your inventory levels and you really have to have enough inventory to support multiple marketplaces and you know if you can then that's always recommended um but i'm definitely you know your you know websites are expensive you know different you know different marketplaces you know cause different challenges and you definitely have to be you need to have the inventory levels to support you know, all the efforts that you're putting in. I really think that that was one of the biggest things that I did see in 2020 was people that were, you know, spread thin across different, you know, marketplaces and ultimately didn't have the inventory that they needed. And, you know, had they just focused on one, they probably would have been, you know, way more profitable than if they were, you know, not necessarily, um, you know, spreading everything all over the place but you know now once inventory hopefully becomes a little bit more readily available you know diversification at that point is is definitely you know it's always wise to be diversified it's always safer to be diversified it's just you you know make sure you have your ducks in a row as far as inventory because that really is the name of the game like if you don't have your logistics straightened out and you don't have your inventory straightened out there's, you know, no point in, you know, spending time to be on 12 websites if you can't support one. Exactly. You sounded like my uh, financial advisor when I was talking to, when you were talking about diversify, diversify. So <laughs> that's a, that's how you do it, to spread the wealth amongst everything. So all, with all uh, everything growth, uh, that's what I instantly thought of. So that's where I'm at today on Friday. Look no, at me. Yeah. But, but if you only have, if you only have $10, you know, how, how much are you going to diversify? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So you have to be profitable and secure in one facet. That's when diversification happens. Very cool. We actually had a comment come through. Uh, Brennan uh, Girdler, actually a uh, person who comments a lot of this. He's, I think he has a lot of good insights as well, but his question, maybe comment, if you will, is brick and mortar people that adapt. That's great. Obviously, especially nowadays. What about the fact that 50% of sales are via third parties? Those aren't little guys. I'm going to, I'm going to kind of like edit that and kind of, and, and, and tweak it a little bit uh, with brick and mortar people kind of adapting and having to see that they have to diversify on, you know, on Amazon or on e-commerce. What are your tips that you're suggesting people get started? Is it get listed on Amazon? Like what, what are those first initial steps that you're trying to help sellers that are brick and mortar onto Amazon? If you, if you do work with those kinds of clients. Um, I definitely. So I would, you know, I would definitely say Amazon is really the first place you should you should start. You know, how to get your product listed on Amazon is definitely um, there's so many different service providers that can help you to do that. And I would definitely, you know, say try and get somebody who already has, you know, done it to help you start the process. You can ultimately take over yourself once you sort of learn it. But that learning curve from experienced, uh, you know, service providers or solution providers is definitely very valuable. Again, you don't have to stay with them forever. There are a lot of, you know, a la carte solution providers that can create listings for you, do listing optimization and, you know, do things like that to help you get off the ground to a point where you are now, you know, have a running business and see if it makes sense to bring someone in-house to manage your own business at that point um, because you have already you know you've seen at least uh, you know some revenue stream um, i'd also say that i think that people that try and start on their you know on multiple platforms at the same time i think is also can be you know a challenge and sometimes a mistake um, you know generally amazon does about you know let's say 80 percent better than most other you know places 
And, you know, building traffic on your own site will probably also take a solid, you know, three to six months until you actually have a customer list at all. So you usually want to try and, you know, start with Amazon and then build everything else up sort of around it. You know, ultimately, we do have accounts that have, you know, managed to bring their website business to be, you know, par or even better than their Amazon sales. But, you know, those companies started on Amazon and then grew their, you know, e-commerce business around it, you know, with Walmart.com and Sears and all those other, you know, websites. But, you know, Amazon always seems to be, you know, start off as number one and is the fastest way to do direct to consumer business. And, you know, once you're doing direct to consumer business, you can then figure out all the other marketplaces um, that, you know, definitely cost you know, a lot of money. And I would say, don't, don't fool yourself into thinking that, you know, because Amazon's fees are expensive, that, you know, there aren't fees on other sites. Because if you're, if you're doing it yourself, then you have to pay Facebook or Google that same amount of money to get traffic. So you're giving the money to someone. It's just, you know, Amazon is, you know, right now is still, you know, number one by far. And you should really make that the, you know, the basis of your e-commerce business, I would say. Absolutely. Um, and as as an international company from Pinkball inside, we actually we we thrive in that uh, similar vein is have having to like take all those fees and help people save money. But I'm gonna take that question, kind of pivot or that comment, and pivot with kind of maybe more international growth. I think uh, a lot of people they start in Amazon.com. Obviously, if you're being successful and you're like, hey, I want to take this to the next level, their initial thought is I'm gonna diversify or I want to go on a different platform, not Amazon. But a lot of people don't understand that there's other marketplaces out there in different countries. Um, their kind of hesitation from what we see is that it's just too hard, it's too, it's too uh, difficult to kind of diversify in that capacity. I don't want to translate my listing. I don't want to have to figure out a whole nother logistics uh, chain. When you're talking to your clients or customers or you yourself as, uh, as sellers, where are you initially looking at for growth opportunity, especially like now when other marketplaces are starting to catch up? Obviously, .com is the most saturated, I would say saturated, but there's a lot of buying power in the United States. Where is that next market that you as a team or that you are seeing um, is kind of that next market, that budding market, if you will? So Amazon themselves really pushes and, you know, we get emails from Amazon reps. It seems like almost every other day of, you know, there's, you know, Amazon UK, you know, Amazon Europe, you know, Amazon Brazil, you know, they're set, they really are pushing it and trying to make it much easier to, you know, to actually do business overseas. And, you know, there's actually, uh, you know, companies that someone that's in the co-op with us, because Yana Kretschitz, it does a lot of, you know, translations to make that part of it easier if you're going to list your product in, you know, other marketplaces. And, you know, something that when we tried to do it, you know, we tried to sell DVDs this was like seven years ago in Canada, it was a nightmare. Like we literally had to ship product, you know, over the border ourselves into the Canadian prime facilities and do all that in order to sell a product in Canada. And like now Amazon will just ship it from your U.S. facility to marketplaces in Canada and Germany and Europe and in all of these different places. And they have, you know, really, really made it much easier to to do business overseas where it just wasn't, you know, it was a nightmare previously. We literally had to open a bank account. We had a cousin open a bank account in Canada so we could have a business in Canada so we could sell product there. Like all, the, all those hurdles have really been, you know, solved by Amazon because ultimately, you know, they, they want to take over the world and whatnot, but, you know, they really are looking at the global marketplace and trying to make it, you know, easier for Amazon.com sellers to sell everywhere. Absolutely. And that's a cool segue too. when you're having trouble uh, selling internationally and instead of obviously opening bank accounts internationally, that's where ping pong comes in. Quick, quick uh, shout out to our company, uh, uh, ping pong. If you're looking to sell internationally and save money, go ahead and click those links below in these comments too. find out more information about how to grow and receive and send money. Uh, but that's my quick little advertisement. Look at me. I'm going to, I'm going to lay into our <laughs> sponsored by, uh, company, uh, what we do uh, the best. So a um, couple of questions from that. Shout out to Yana, who's a friend of the 
friend of the show. She had a great talk about us about growing internationally and in, uh, listings, international listings. So go and check that on our YouTube page as well. But uh, you had mentioned selling into Canadian market. Uh, kind of a, a weird question, maybe you were selling DVDs there. What was your number one seller in the Canadian market in terms of movies? The Quiet Man. <laughs> yeah. The Quiet, the quiet, the quiet, the quiet Man. The Quiet Man. John Wayne was, uh, it, it just seemed like the these older movies were had like just an infinite, like it's crazy. There was no end to the amount of Quiet Man DVDs that we were able to sell. I mean, really? we were selling Quiet Man on Blu-ray. Oh, it blew my mind. You know, like what? You know, there's some 90-year-old person there that wants to watch John Wayne on Blu-ray, no less. But that was in Canada, in you know, somewhere in Saskatoon or whatever. What year? What year was this? This was not that long ago, believe it or not. This was we're talking about all of you know five, six years ago, where it was still oh my gosh. just yeah. Like, are you? Are you? So, and that's my other question: Are you guys still selling uh, DVDs and other products like that internationally? Uh, you know, define if you're, if you're allowed to. We know. I mean, we are. Believe it or not, we still are. It's a uh, uh, my warehouse used to be ninety percent full of DVDs. Now we have whatever's left that we still do is about five percent in the corner. And you know, it's like a, one of these days we're going to stop. But it's just like if it still sells, we still have product. I can't help it. We just, I, you know, it's old habits die hard. We're still selling. Well that that gives me like kind of a, a curious uh, question and maybe a question for the audience if you have if you have questions about um, maybe maybe if you're listening right now what's your uh, favorite product or kind of the one product that you that you sold on Amazon uh, that you still just won't give up because it's kind of nostalgic or it's just one of those things that's still doing well that's kind of bizarre go ahead and put those in the comments below uh, or, or share with us uh, after you listen to this uh, via audio form but my question to you is, um, how how do you how do you go about selling? Because I feel like there, if I were to sell any anything that's produced by like uh, with a license or anything like that, how do you go about those relationships? And um, is there is there anything specific when you're selling DVDs or, or kind of like copyrighted you know goods like that? When there's brands involved, there's like associations involved. How how does that work as a as a third-party seller. Yeah, I mean, you have to make sure that the company that you're buying it from is really okay with you, you know, selling the product on Amazon. That is, you know, and very often, you know, these companies don't, you know, have no desire to do it themselves. They're wholesalers. They don't really get retail or care about retail. If you're willing to purchase product from them, you know, and take on that risk and do what you need to do in order to sell it, um, you just with Amazon, you need to make sure that you're, you know, purchasing it from somebody that knows what you're actually doing. Because you can definitely run into a problem where, you know, if you're trying to, you know, in theory, buy the quiet man, not from, you know, all of distribution, who's the, you know, the rights holder. And, you know, you buy it and tell them that you're selling it in your retail store and it shows up on Amazon. You know, they can send you cease and desist. They can give you problems. And, you know, you, you just you want to be upfront at the end of the day with the people that you're buying products from. I feel like if you're if you're trying to. You know, there there are plenty of people that are happy to sell your product if you're going to sell it on Amazon. And if they're not, it's usually going to be a recipe for a problem at some point down the line. And, you know, we try and stay as straight as we can. And, you know, if you, you know, if you, if you, if you, if you're not honest with the people you're buying product from, it's going to be a problem. How do you, how do you find out distribution places like that? Like, where do you, where do you start your education or how do you find these places? Um, yeah, you know that's a that's a tough one. That was like that's, I, that's, a, dark, that's a dark rabbit hole to go down in Google. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I mean it's you know we really you know I guess what I like to usually say is that you, you have to have an excuse for why you think you are either buying a higher quality product or have a better price. And if you're kind of just like everybody else and, you know, you know, if you found someone on Google or whatnot, or they're advertising all over the place to sell something, then you really have to ask yourself, like, what am I going to do that's different? That's going to actually make this, you know, sell where I'm, you know, doing, I have a, you need to have a reason to make money. And, you know, if you have a unique relationship with somebody, then that might be the reason why you're able to buy product from them. Like for us in the DVD world, we were selling 
at retail and we had three stores. So we'd established relationships with these vendors over the course of many, many years where they trusted that, you know, if they sold this product, they knew where it was going to land. If it was going to be at retail, if it was going to be at wholesale, if it was going to be, you know, online. So we, there was a reason why they knew us and there was a reason why we knew we were getting better pricing um, or better product or what, you know, whatever the case is. But if you feel like, you know, there's no, if you're just buying it for $3 and everybody else can buy it for $3, it's a tough place to try and really sink your money into and think you're going to make money. Especially with margins, I, I can't imagine what like the margin, you know, percentages or the kind of levels are with DVDs and whatnot. So that's fascinating. Like, didn't think we'd be getting into a DVD talk, but I'm a big movie person. So when you when you talk about that, I'm I'm all about it. Learning more. Uh, what is what's your one product that you regret selling on Amazon? Do you have one? <laughs> yeah. Do you have one? Can oh, you yeah. share with us? Can oh, you share yeah. with us? I'll give you this story. Yeah. So let's, we, up. let's we, go. <laughs> into uh, it was a good lesson learned. We got into a, a pregnancy protein powder, where you know the doctor seemed like he really you know was super passionate about the product. It's healthy. It's organic. It's you know all of these buzzwords for pregnant women. Uh, it was like how it seems so great. He spent uh, millions of dollars in FDA studies to prove how this was the you know, the greatest and healthiest product, you know, on the market for pregnant women. And, you know, what could go wrong? Uh, guess what went wrong? We forgot to actually taste the powder. Apparently, after listing it for six months, it turns out it tasted terrible. Oops. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> and if it tastes terrible, it doesn't matter how healthy it is, we were ultimately selling, you know, food at the end of the day. We were selling a protein shake. And it didn't taste good. And at, after that, we learned the lesson of anything that we touch or sell, I must touch it, feel it, own it, and make sure I know what it is. Um, whether it's you know clothing or a pair of headphones or uh, you know, I have to know what it is and make sure that it works and is you know either tastes good, feel good, the right quality before we'll throw it up there. Because at the end of the day, if the product isn't actually good, then doesn't matter, nothing else matters at the end of the day. You have to have a quality product. And we we learned that the hard way. We spent a lot of a lot of money on that protein powder trying to figure out why we couldn't get this thing to work. And that was a pretty, you know, pretty obvious answer that, you know, we learned the hard way. Oh. Yeah. Are are you are you uh, in your team still launching new products and brands online, uh, or are you managing other people's? Um, we are. You know, I always say we do very little of that. Um, you know, new things ourselves. We really are focused at this point on you know software and other uh, other. You know, I guess we always say that we're not taking on any clients at this point, sure. and, and there will always be that one person. You know, a year that I'll say. You know. Like we have this one crazy brand that we want to, you know, do, and then we say, "All right, we have to make the time." Um, but, you know, but in general, we really are, you know, we really see that the, you know, we're we're launching new products for our current brands all the time. That is our, you know, business model. And you know, launch is if you're on Amazon, you have to know how to launch products. And like that's really, you know, we're launching stuff all day. We're just not necessarily, uh, we're, we try and launch in our wheelhouse, I guess. We, we haven't really, you know, we're not, we're, we're able to focus on that and still be okay. Absolutely. And, and I threw it up on the screen too. If you're watching this or even listening, a uh, question for your audience, maybe leave it in the comments on if you're uh, listening on uh, Spotify or you're listening on Apple Podcasts, what's the one, you know, product you regret selling, maybe share a story. If you have time, we'd love to hear about that and, uh, and share the protein, pregnancy protein powder. Never knew such a, a product existed, but that's why we have Amazon to always find those micro niches, right? Yeah, uh, find and bury. That's what we did. Exactly. What's the, um, maybe what's the most surprising product? that you've maybe like not tell us exactly what it is. What's the most surprising product that exceeded your expectations on Amazon or selling? Um, yeah, honestly, that one's, that, that one's a tough one because I have too much, uh, we signed NDAs and confidentiality agreements with everybody that we deal with. So, <laughs> so what, so what, what, okay. I'll, uh, let me, let me, uh, 
back it up a little bit. I'm not going to get anyone in trouble here because, you know, uh, our, uh, our podcast is listened by millions of people around the world. So we're not going to get anyone. I'm just kidding. Uh, hopefully one day. But, um, but without it getting in trouble, what is the one category that time and time again that you guys saw on Amazon surprise you in a good way? Um, I, I guess I would say that it seems like the, the fitness category, you know, really, especially over the course of the last couple of years, seems to be a, you know, something that doesn't seem to end. Like, I'm just amazed at the amount of, because a lot of these items are, don't seem like they should be, you know, they're heavy. They don't seem like they're, you know, e-commerce friendly. They're funny shapes and sizes, but people like, I think this, you know, even before the pandemic, I think people just, a lot of people prefer to work out at home over going to the gym. So the, you know, the fitness category in general, and, you know, the, I would also say that the, the spike of from December to January is always fun just to see that you get two Christmases in the fitness category where, you know, it's December is one and then everybody in January decides that they want to get fit and healthy and you have another, you know, another whole round in January. So that's, um, you know, that's always sort of, you know, fun to watch. And then it's summertime and everybody wants to get in shape again. And then that's, you know, so there's all these spikes in that category that just always continue to uh, continue to surprise because we kind of have our, you know, our graph of all of our businesses. And that category always has its own graph that just is not related to the rest of uh, to the rest of the business. Do you feel like using that kind of like cyclical uh, selling cycle that you guys are able to load that into like your software tool. Uh, maybe we're coming full circle here before uh, the top of the hour. But when, when when you're kind of like looking at those trends and graphs, do you see it very much similarly uh, mirror like your product velocity? And then obvi obviously like with seasons a lot. And then that's where the pricing kind of like levels out. Can you guys almost predict that now? Uh, yes. At this point, yes. And the, you know, things definitely change and, you know, the software reacts to the, you know, to the changes in the marketplace. But we, you know, we have settings which, we, you know, you can, you know, load that your items are in peak season. And, you know, we, when you, when you set things to peak season, it's more volatile, moves faster because you, you know, you know that these items, you know, it could be a Valentine's Day item. It could be a, you know, Christmas item, a Mother's Day item. You know, there's different peak seasons for different categories. And, you know, once you, you, you tell the software that you're in peak season and it's going to react, you know, faster because it knows that this is a, you know, a specific, you know, hot time for that literally specific ASIN. So that, you know, we definitely, we definitely same kind of thing, learn that through trial and error where, you know, we were running the algorithm and then, you know, it hit peak season and, you know, we originally had only December set as peak season. And then you start with different products and you see that, you know what, peak season is not only in December. There's peak season for different products all over the place. So we needed to change the algorithm and let you, you know, choose peak season on an item level because it really changes for every item. So we, we've definitely gone through those uh, trials and tribulations of sort of realizing, you know, where the algorithm was failing over the years to kind of update it and allow it to really be tailor-made to each specific item. That's awesome. Yeah. And I, I mean, that, that's really interesting and fascinating. I, I thank you so much for jumping on today, Jason. I, I think that learning that there is obviously tools out there that can help you and assist you, obviously maximize your revenue, which I think is, is a no brainer, but they can see in real time with tools like this, there, there's so many different things. If you're big enough, you can start to maximize that, that, that kind of formula, if you will, like analytics is just a huge key here in Amazon like in Amazon and as sellers. So you want the that data to work in your favor and not be guessing along the point. I think that's what my main takeaway is today is use tools to help assist you with these, like uh, instead of guessing and maybe making the wrong business decision, utilize tools like this to, to really enhance like your growth opportunity and your revenue, uh, you know, revenue growth. Um, for people who want to learn more information about you or they're just questions and they're like, Hey, this is really great in theory. I have a question about this or about the software. Where can they learn more information about you sure. or the company? Sure. You can go to azsellerkit.com. Um, you can email us at info at azsellerkit.com or you can email me directly at my uh, agency email is jason at mmxdist.com. 
Um, and whatever, happy to hear and talk to you know anybody. I can talk about this stuff for forever. So this is fun. It's super laid back here on Friday. Like I said, here it's really like I don't know what it's like. You're in New York, correct? Uh, yeah, I'm in I'm in Jersey. So Jersey. Sorry, we won't we won't get in that whole turf battle. But yeah, Jersey part. Uh, yeah, here in Indiana, it, I don't think I've seen the sun for a solid week. So you know, it's uh, that time of year. I know in New York and New Jersey, it's similar seasons. Man, you gotta love it. It's uh, it's a depressing time of year when there's no sun out all the day. <laughs> but yeah. But yeah, no, hey, it, it's super, it was super, super great of you to come on. I know I, I learned a lot today about just that process, your education. And now that we've gone through a show, I call all my guests friends of the show. So you're more than welcome to hop on. If you see something in the industry, I know we're working on a couple of cool projects together with the Ecom Cooperative here up and coming March. Uh, there's a lot of great buzz around, uh, you know, what's coming up in 2021. I think a lot of people's mentality is optimism in this year and i think that's uh, that's another keyword so thanks so much for hopping on with us today do you have any, yeah do you have anything else before we hop off and uh uh to the uh, audience no i guess just last thing is just make sure you're always finding if you're blessed enough to have a product that's selling on amazon make sure you're selling it for the right price and that's really yeah it. No. great takeaway that's software, great software just however you know make sure you're selling your product for the right do your research and then make sure yeah you're not you're not shooting yourself in the foot that's a great takeaway so yeah for for jason and uh or for jason uh with az seller kit i'm ryan kramer again thanks for joining us this week guys live on crossover commerce with ping pong payments uh the show goes live but then we also release all of our episodes on uh again they they go live on facebook youtube linkedin and twitter but you can watch them again uh, again, on all those platforms, again, I would say subscribe to YouTube, subscribe to our podcast on uh, Spotify, as well as Apple Podcasts. We're going to be live. We're doing four more episodes next week. I'm super excited about all of our guests that will start to be promoted on all of our social channels. So make sure you tune in live and save those. If you can't do it live, go back, watch them again, take notes, ask us questions and tag us in your social posts. If you have questions or if you want to hear from specific individuals, also tag me and uh, shoot us a note. But for this week in Crossover Commerce, I'm Ryan Kramer. Uh, thanks for watching, and we'll see you guys next week.